0: Let's pray. Lord, be with my mouth, be with our ears, be with our hearts. Help us to hear from you and only you today. And let us go forth in the freedom that your son Jesus bought us. Amen. Oh, let us all from bondage flee, and let us all in Christ be free. We are in a series about the atonement, and we're talking about how there's really more than one way to look at the atonement. There, are, It's such a big thing, what Jesus has done for us, and so there are many different ways to look at it. There's many different ways to talk about how he has accomplished our union, our oneness with God, and... Today we're gonna to look about look at how Jesus freed the slaves. And this song that we just finished singing was written by slaves. I think we probably know this. Um, and the slaves who wrote it were living in a desperate situation, but reflecting on the hope for freedom that they found in spite of their maybe Christian slave owners. Um the hope that the slaves found for freedom in the Exodus story, which they also saw played out in the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is a powerful testimony of what God has done, and it is something really quite miraculous that only the Holy Spirit could have showed, could have shown these people of African descent in our nation. When the people of European descent refused to teach them or even acknowledge or live by the fact that Jesus came to free the slaves. So what are we talking about slavery here? Slaves to sin. Barb mentioned that we're slaves to sin, and that's, that's the big slavery that describes the human condition. And actually, there really is nothing that illustrates sin so well as slavery. First of all because slavery itself is a grave sin which overturns the order that God created in the world at the beginning. We already know that God created a good world and in that good world he intended to be God to us human beings and then he intended to be God through us to the rest of creation. And we were all created in his image and he was going to be God through each one of us equally, differently, but equally, to the rest of creation, Jesus summarized this intention of God that was built into creation at the beginning when he crystallized the two greatest commandments. He said, the first greatest commandment is to love God with everything that you are, and the second one is to love people as much as you love everything that you are. Basically. A life of service is built into this design. Its Service is part of this automatically, but it is a humble service, freely given out of love, freely offered out of love that comes from God, and it is not at all the same thing as slavery that is forced out of fear. And sin, all sin, is really a type of slavery that comes from fear. But slavery, literal slavery, is all, is a picture of the reversal of God's design. Because when we enslave others, we turn the whole thing upside down. We don't love God when we enslave others. We play God. And in playing God, we don't love others as ourselves. We, impre- we oppress others to please ourselves, and we do it by making the diversity that God built into creation an excuse for an oppression. And So slavery has been practiced by empires throughout the centuries, and it's always taking a group of people that's different, for whatever reason, in Egypt with the Israelites it was a different ethnicity, in our country it was about color, which makes even less sense. We take these differences that God created and make them an excuse for oppression, division, and abuse. Jesus came to put things back in the right place where God is king and humans are united in glorious distinction, free to serve God and serve each other rather than serving ourselves and oppressing each other. Not only... Though, is slavery, literal slavery, the sin that most obviously breaks the two commandments that are built into the foundation of the world, but slavery as a metaphor shows us how all other sin works. Because ultimately, but less obviously, all sin is an attempt to play God at the expense of other people. Slavery, when it is in place, affects everybody and sin all sin affects everybody i think i've heard this a few times from christians um, that we sometimes struggle especially in our society because we're all individualists here whether we want to be or not um, we struggle with the idea that we are somehow on the hook for adam and eve's sin right how in the world we there are no pictures of these people. There's there's no record of them anywhere else besides the Bible. Like we don't, why how did their one sin which doesn't even seem like that bad of a thing, right? How are we on the hook for this? Yeah, I I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. I'm responsible for my own sin. And yes, the Bible records individuals sinning and these individuals have to repent they don't always and but they're supposed to and they're supposed to make restitution for the sins that they've committed and also there's a pr- pretty significant couple of passages in Ezekiel where God says look you are responsible for your own sin if if your son change if you're doing evil and your son decides to do good well he's not going to get blamed for the evil that you've done and yet the reason those passages are in the Bible is because overall in the Bible, the concept of sin is not an individual thing. We read it that way because that's how our society works. And so we, we take our individual lenses and we put them on and we read the Bible and we think Jesus died for my sin, and he did. He also died for our sin. And the things, uh, sin in the Bible even if it's committed by one person, it always affects the community. And this is why it's such a huge deal. Always it affects a broader group of people. There is no sin at all that doesn't hurt anybody. And slavery shows us how this is possible because slavery affects everybody. Slavery hurts everybody, including the people who are owning the slaves. It hurts young and old, male and female, any ethnicity, the people who are being sinned against and the people who are committing the sin. It hurts everybody. I have a a black pastor friend in Texas. We went to college together and every once in a while, we chat on the phone and he was telling me, you know, I, I think that racism is an evil in this country. But I don't think it's, he's saying, I don't think it's my people only who are being hurt by it. I think white people are being hurt by it too. It is, it affects everybody. And Martin Luther King Jr. said something similar. I am personally coming to the conviction that the sin of slavery and racial oppression that occurred in this country from the moment that Europeans set foot here is the reason why our country is in the mess that it is right now. Taking prayer out of school is not the reason. Taking God out of the conversation in our society is not the reason. The reason is because in God's name, European Americans killed the people who were already here or displaced them and forced others to come here so we could abuse them too that at the very beginning of this country's founding, that is why we're in the mess that we're in. And is it possible that the reason that there is no prayer in schools now, at least not Christian or, or Jewish prayer for the most part, and why God removed, him, or why God is no longer in the conversation, is because God removed himself because he was tired of having his name taken in vain in this way? And he had to use people who didn't even know him or love him to do it because the people who do, who had the power, weren't paying attention. If it feels uncomfortable that I am saying we about this, um, I, I invite you to consider a few things. I'm, include, I'm included in this we. And I think we need to remember, we often, I've I've heard it here, and I hear it in other places, um, we talk about, we took prayer out of schools, but we didn't take prayer out of schools either. We've never owned slaves. It's possible in this part of the country that our direct ancestors, white people, also never owned slaves. And yet, we are part of a people group that, as a whole, and sin is a a multi thing did this. And I think it's concerning that most of us, and I, I'm here too, most of us in this room get more upset about the prayer in school thing than about the ungodly, I may even say demonic, history of racism and oppression in this country that began when people were praying in schools. And that shows just how long-lasting and enslaving the sin of slavery and racism really is. Is Because we are all still suffering the consequences. I want to make something clear. We talk about this here a lot. And you probably think, why is Pastor Jen talking about this all the time? Um, How does this really apply to us? We love all people. We're not racist. I want to affirm you. I know you all. This is a small congregation, so I know each one of you, and you are loving people who love Jesus and love people, and you would not let the color of somebody's skin affect whether you helped them out if they were in need or not. This is true, and I want to affirm this. And I also want to affirm that on Thursdays, Ron stands outside the church, and the prayer team's praying with him, and he will regularly ask God for forgiveness on behalf of our nation and on behalf of this country. I just think it's, we don't, because most of the people in this room, all the people in this room are white. Some of us have some other ethnicities in there too. Um, But it's hard for us to understand the impact that Racism and slavery have had and are continuing to have on this country, and it is messing things up. So we can't actually love as well or as fully as God intends us to. Because the evil of slavery is so evil that we're still living in this system that was created by it, and it is falling apart. But here's the thing. People whom the one true God has freed to be blessings to the nations have no business enslaving anybody. And to the extent that we are connected to people who did that, because sin is not just individual, it has implications for all of us, we need to be able to acknowledge specifically this evil in our nation and be people like Daniel in Daniel 9, who confesses society's sins as if they were our own, even if we haven't committed them. Because all sin, like the sin of slavery, affects everyone, and we live in the results, whether we like it or not. And so I'm gonna take this, because as I've said, we talk about this, I've kind of been skirting around this issue a lot over the last year, and so I would like to personally ask forgiveness of my friends and Christian family of color in this nation, and those of you in here who have, I know there are some of us here who have ancestry, who are First Nations people. Um, The Europeans were not good to those people either. And so I want to ask forgiveness on behalf of people of my skin color, especially of you who are in My family in Jesus Christ. Because people who have been freed from slavery to sin have no business enslaving anyone. And I am sorry. Here's the thing. Jesus can free us. Jesus does free us. Jesus has freed us. And like Barb said, when Christ has set us free, we are free indeed. We can't get stuffed back into that thing. But we do have to take steps. We have to participate in our freedom. And we see this in the story of the Red Sea. So slavery was affecting Egypt the way it is affecting our country right now. There were a few leaders in Egypt who decided, oh, here's this ethnic group, and they're pretty hard workers, and we don't think we want them to take over our hierarchy here. So let's put them to work, and let's oppress them, and let's keep them down so they don't have any power, so we don't have to worry about them. It was just a few leaders, but the rest of the Egyptians benefited from this system. It was an economic system, and the whole system, the the Egyptian economy and society and everything became completely dependent on the forced labor, labor of an entire group of people. Every person in Egypt got trapped in this one way or another. So when God sent Moses back to Egypt to tell old Pharaoh to let my people go, Pharaoh really didn't want to upset the tidy system his ancestors had created. It would be a huge mess to let the people go. In Exodus twelve twelve, God tells Moses, against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And he demonstrates this through the plagues. All of the plagues, each one is designed to challenge a different god of Egypt. And because their gods were tied into nature and stuff like most uh, pagan religions. And we already saw two weeks ago that God ransomed his people. They were already ransomed from the false gods. So how dare these false gods be subjugating his people for 400 years? But this also shows us that slavery really is demonic. This kind of subjugating of another people group based on some different characteristic is demonic. God is punishing the gods of Egypt because of what is happening to his people. But God is punishing the gods of Egypt. But he is also executing judgment against Pharaoh and the rest of Egypt is bearing the brunt. Because sin is not just individual. It would be great if just Pharaoh had to bear the brunt. And everybody else who didn't create this system was okay. But it didn't work out that way. But here's the interesting thing. When Pharaoh sends the people out, finally, after the death of his son and all of the other firstborn males in Egypt, both human and animal, Pharaoh has the opportunity to be free too. Because he's dismantling this whole evil, demonic system by sending the people out. And the system of sin that he's causing his own people to commit. Here's the problem, though. If you feel like you're benefiting from sin, you don't want to be freed from it. First of all, you might not realize that it's sin. But you also don't want to be freed from it. You don't realize that you're enslaved in the first place, and freedom feels weird and uncomfortable and hard. And it can even feel weird and uncomfortable and hard if you were the person being oppressed by sin and you're freed from it. We've talked about this here before a few years ago, um, about how the Israelites, once they got into the desert, they kept wanting to go back to Egypt. And this even happens as soon as they leave, because in Exodus thirteen seventeen, God said, uh, the Bible says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. God really, really, really does not want his people enslaved. So he leads them the longer way. But by leading them the longer way, they're not faced with war exactly, but they're faced with the Red Sea. Here's the thing. Better the hard way... Following God the hard way, the long way, a way that requires our faith and our intentional participation, than the way that keeps us enslaved or loops us right back around to slavery. God wants a free people to bless the nations. Remember, the Israelites are God's people. God has chosen them, descendants of Abraham through Isaac, to bless the world. And They have to be free to do this. God and God alone can make people free, can set people free. But then, after he has set us free, it takes an active trust, which is what faith is, in him to live it. Or to live in it. To live in that freedom. The route through the Red Sea gives both the Israelites and the Egyptians the ability to choose freedom and participate in it. Egypt chooses to remain enslaved. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We've let the Israelites go and have lost their services. They choose to remain enslaved. The Israelites, on the other hand, are terrified, but they follow God into freedom. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel, coming between the forces of slavery and freedom. Remember that it was the angel of God who called out to Abraham when he was about to sacrifice Isaac and stopped him. We honestly don't have enough information to know this for sure, It could have been an angel, a spiritual being that wasn't God, who um, was still a servant and messenger of God. But some Bible scholars believe that when the Old Testament talks about the angel of the Lord, it is talking about a pre-incarnate, a before-embodied version of Jesus. It is Jesus before he was born in Bethlehem. Either way... Whether it is actually Jesus himself or an angel, an angelic messenger, God is protecting his people and affirming his intention that they not go back. We shoved into that little capsule again. Not go back into slavery, but walk forward into freedom. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. So we know what happens to the Egyptians. They want to continue to enslave and, though they probably don't know it, to be enslaved. And so they follow the Israelites into the water and drown. When we tell people the good news about Jesus and what he's done for us, we often quote John 3.16. We know what it says. Want to say it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Yes. So, whosoever believes in him. This story gives a visual of one of the ways that this verse works. Both the Israelites and the Egyptians have been enslaved in different ways to sin. Both are being given the choice to be set free, and interesting to note, you may know this, but maybe not, um, it does tell us in the Bible that the group that went with the Israelites were a mixed crowd, which means that there were some Egyptians who were just fed up with the slavery and the evil system that had been oppressing the Israelites, and so they leave with them, and they are spared, and they are incorporated into the people of God, but both nations are given the choice to be set free. Both enter the water, or the space where the water normally is, and the Israelites, with active trust, and the people that are with them, with active trust in the God who is leading them, choose freedom and life. But the Egyptians, who are afraid of losing their services, choose slavery and they die for it. Okay, so great. We know slavery is sinful. Slavery is a perfect metaphor for sin. God led the Israelite slaves out of Egypt. But how does this really connect with the atonement? We're talking about Jesus' sacrifice. Jesus' sacrifice makes us one with God. And Jesus' sacrifice was ultimately encapsulated in his death on the cross. Which, by the way, was very much like being lynched. It's torture and he became one of us. And that is the overarching sacrifice. God becoming one of us is the first step in that sacrifice. He entered the world of our own making, enslaved to sin. He took upon himself and submitted to the effects of our sin slavery. And He was beaten for it, and he was hung up on a cross for it and died. And he symbolically connected his overarching sacrifice of becoming one of us to this Red Sea story through his baptism, as Barb brought up. N.T. Wright and Barb are not the only people (laughs) who connect the story of the Red Sea with the With Jesus baptism and he writes as Israel came through the water of the Red Sea and was given the law confirming its status as God's son God's firstborn Jesus came up from the water of baptism and received God's spirit God's wind God's breath in a new way declaring him to be God's son Israel in person we know that when Jesus was baptized he told john that he needed to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness and because he said that we believe that we should be baptized too and in this in baptist churches we believe that we need to be able to make that decision for ourselves we need to be old enough to do that when we follow jesus through the waters of baptism what does that symbolize death burial the death burial and resurrection of jesus Romans 6, 3-5 says, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the, the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We die to our sin. We die to the slavery. We never go back that way again, just like... The Israelites, when they got through the Red Sea, they were not going back to Egypt again, or they were not supposed to. Completely free, as Barb said. The Israelites were freed from slavery, baptized into a new life of freedom through which to bless the nations. And we have been baptized into a new life of freedom to bless the nations too. We have been forgiven for our sin, and for our ancestors' sin. Jesus' forgiveness covers all of it. We still need to remember the story, though. God tell Exodus all the way through Deuteronomy. God reminds his people that they were slaves and he freed them. It is important. We're supposed to pass this down. We have to be honest about where we've been and grateful and honest about what God has done for us Through his sacrifice and our baptism. So what would it look like here for us to really live in the freedom that Jesus has bought us? If we are following our servant Lord to freedom, how do we show that we're free? I don't know. I've been here since 2019. We've been praying about what God wants for this church. And I think that it's very clear that God is at work here. Um, and that he has placed here people on purpose, each of you on purpose with hearts for him and hearts for other people. I don't know specifically what our mission in this area is to look like or is going to look like, but I can tell you one thing. I really believe from the Bible that God is sad and tired of seeing his people, not, I'm not just talking about this church, I'm talking about in general, His people separated like laundry. He already washed us. We don't have to be separated anymore. So, I believe that God really wants the people who are truly His freed people to look like the communities where they are. I believe that He wants the leadership and the fellowship, to reflect the diversity that he has created of every tongue, tribe, people, nation, color. I really believe that, and this is not because of the system of slavery that is still trickling down and affecting us today. This is not something that is going to happen automatically. It's also not something that's going to happen without God's help and the Holy Spirit, but like the Israelites had to follow into the Red Sea and come out the other side, we also have to take steps of faith, active trust in God. And I don't know exactly what this will look like, but I do think that the Gospels are full of stories of reaching out to people who are not the same as us, who are not the same as you, and inviting them. And... Giving them the opportunities to serve alongside with you, or serving them, or this glorious, what God's kingdom is supposed to look like, serving in love of each other. Service has always been part of God's intention, but it is service given freely out of love, not forced out of pain and fear. Freely given loving service to God and others is how we fulfill both of the commandments built into the foundation of creation. Loving God with all we are and loving people as ourselves. And the more we reflect the kingdom of God in the colors and the languages and everything that is represented here, and we are fellowshipping together and we are worshiping together and we are serving together, that is how the gospel is going to go forward. Because that kind of thing doesn't happen without God. Because that's what freedom buys us. This is how we follow him through the Red Sea to freedom and bless the world. Jesus, our servant king, modeled servant freedom publicly, going from the high to the low, from the low to the high. Everybody... From the time he stepped through the waters of baptism, through his torture and death on a cross, and out the other side of death in full resurrection and a new life. And this is another way to, contempl- to contemplate the atonement. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what you did for us in sending your Son, and going through our sin enslaved world in suffering and dying and coming back to life was hard and complicated and it's hard to contemplate it and it's hard to um hear some of the things that we need to remember that we're we're part of and it's awesome to know that you have paid it all, you have done it all, you have led us through the Red Sea and we didn't drown, and you are calling us to life and freedom and union and service in you out of love, and we ask that you will empower us to do that, that you will show us how to do that, and that you will be glorified in our lives in Southbridge and throughout the world, in Jesus' name.